Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with Lions.com, and today I am joined once again by Kelly Ford. Kelly, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Brett. We're here. We're talking week one, Saturday games. It's exciting. We've already had some in the books here from the midweeks. Uh, Let's do it. It's going to be awesome. This is the time of year we live for. I cannot wait. Yeah, we're finally on the main course. I feel like we've been building up, building up, building up. We finally get to talk about the, uh, the, the, the main feature of the college football weekend here. Before we get into it, though, don't forget to follow at the Lines US on Twitter. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at KFord Ratings. We'll be here every week breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games. Go check out our Thursday, Friday uh, rundown. We did about an hour on, on those games Uh, But here we are talking the main slate today. I do want to start with there is a major heat wave that's been going through the central U.S. all summer long. Uh, If you live in it, you know about it. But we are still going to have some effects of that this weekend. Louisiana Tech at SMU, Arkansas State at Oklahoma, Colorado at TCU, Western Carolina at Arkansas, if you're betting that game, Rice at Texas, and Cal at UNT. Those are going to be the ones that are mostly affected by 100 degrees plus. And uh, thankfully, there shouldn't be many effects of Hurricane Adelia, uh, by the time Saturday rolls around, that will have passed. Uh, that did make landfall recently, um, and it may affect some of the Thursday games, some of the FCS games, but fortunately not many weather effects for Saturday. But let's start off with the first game on the slate. Maybe one of the more uh, intriguing games, I think, of the season perhaps, because these are two new-look teams. We have Colorado at TCU. The Horn Frogs are 20-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 64 points. Kicks off at noon Eastern on Fox. That's 11 a.m. Central for those in the Fort Worth area. Uh, they absolutely hate those kickoffs uh, from what I've talked to. And 10 a.m. if you're living in the Denver-Boulder area. TCU has taken most of the action this offseason. They opened up at FanDuel earlier this summer as 17-and-a-half-point favorites. That's climbed. I've seen 21s hit. It's kind of like that Navy-Notre Dame line where uh, I did see some 21s, but it was mostly 20-and-a-halves. I don't know if that's going to move up or not. Uh, The over has also taken a ton of action. Uh, It was 59 earlier this week, uh, right after week zero, and that has climbed all the way up to, as I said, 64, 63-and-a-half. Maybe you can find there. Colorado, of course, we've talked about them briefly. Everybody's talked about them. They took on 51 transfers this offseason and completely rebuilt their team. I think they have a pretty solid defensive secondary. Travis Hunter, of course, uh, former number one recruit in the country. Cormani McLean, uh, the number two corner, uh, who was supposed to go to Miami. He's now at Colorado. Uh, Miles Slusher comes down from Arkansas. Decent speed at receiver. You have Travis Hunter, of course. Uh, USF's Jimmy Horn comes in. And a good running back in Alton McCaskill, assuming he is good to go. I'm not totally sold on Shadur Sanders um, as a team-changing quarterback at the Power 5 level. I, I, what I mean by that is I think he'll be good. I think he'll be fine. I don't know if he's going to be able to make up for all the shortcomings, though, uh, as a true superstar. But, hey, I would love to be proven wrong. Good quarterback play is good for watchability. TCU also turns a ton over, particularly on offense. The defensive secondary, however, I believe is their best unit on their team. Josh Newton, you're talking about all-conference, potentially even all-American considerations. Uh, The biggest defensive question I have is TCU's pass rush. They're very inexperienced up front, but I have equal or greater doubts about Colorado that they're going to field any semblance of an offensive line this year. Um, Last note on TCU, they rise uh, Chandler Morris, of course. He actually played Colorado last year in Boulder before getting hurt and giving way to the eventual Heisman runner-up, Max Duggan. I wasn't really super impressed with what he brought to the table, 
but he does have the ceiling to be solid. We've seen it in 2021 against Baylor. I'm also interested to see Kendall Bryles without KJ Jefferson. It's Sonny Dyke's system, but you know how does he translate in that? I did a lot of talking, so Kelly, please break this game down with your numbers. Yeah, for sure. Well, Brett, it's understandable why this game is so hyped up for some of the reasons that you mentioned. But for me, Colorado is one of the more overhyped teams in the country by my numbers. At least they were, you know, coming out of the winter conditioning and spring ball. I think it's died down a little bit, but still, I think they're getting too much love with with season win totals and chances to make the Pac-12 championship game and all that. TCU, on the other hand, they were my number one overachiever in 2022, winning 5.6 more games than my preseason realistic expectations projected, en route, of course, to their 12-0 regular season and an appearance in the national championship game. This is my number four game in the early window on Saturday. I have TCU minus 21.5, which is a 94% win expectancy. TCU, for me, is power rated number 20, while Colorado is power rated number 98 I should note, though, that that's up from number 125 for Colorado to end last year. So a much improved team, still a long way to go, though, to achieve some of these bigger goals that I know Coach Prime has for them. Uh, This is a mismatch on both sides of the ball by my numbers. Bad enough when TCU's number 37 defense is on the field against Colorado's number 88 offense. But, Brett, it gets even worse when TCU's number 15 offense, a good unit, projecting to be a good unit, is taking on Colorado's number 108 defense. Again, that they could be better than that, but that's what they're projecting right now. Plus, throw on top of that, this game is in Fort Worth. Um, also worth, worth mentioning, I just, just pile on to Colorado here, they do welcome old Big 12 rival Nebraska to Boulder in Week 2, so it's conceivable that the Buffs could be looking ahead a bit to that one. I don't think they are, um, but even if they aren't, this one is all TCU for me. Bottom line, I have TCU minus 21.5 at home with a 94% win expectancy for the Horned Frogs. Yeah, Colorado offensively, they're adopting the Sean Lewis-Kent State system, super fast uh, tempo, one of the fastest in the country. Last year, Kent State uh, ran had a clip of 20.7 seconds per play. That's the sixth fastest in the entire country. We saw it in the spring game. He is absolutely bringing that to Colorado. He, they, they know that they have talent shortcomings, particularly up front, so how do you negate that? You run at a million miles an hour and get the ball to the edge, and that's, that's what they're going to do here. They're going to try to test that TCU secondary and linebacking core, see what kind of athleticism they have, which I maintain I think is still pretty good. Uh, it's a good TV product, and it may make some games more interesting, so you, you won't see a completely lifeless Colorado team, I don't think. At least they'll be scoring points, but again, defensively, it, I, I think is both our uh, concern there. But when you have a blistering tempo like that, I worry about conditioning, particularly when it's going to be 100 degrees plus in Fort Worth, and there's not much depth on your team. Uh, you're going to be running up and down that field. You're going to be tiring yourself out. Uh, and, you know, with the defense as bad as Colorado is projected to have or could possibly have, the offense is going to find themselves on the field quite often. So I'm actually really worried about that conditioning there. Uh, I did have someone in the Discord make a pretty interesting note, though, that they condition at altitude. So maybe they're a little bit better off, but heat and altitude, not the same thing whatsoever. Uh, it's going to be absolutely oppressive. They're actually coming from altitude. may actually make it worse. We're talking about that North Texas uh, weather there. Uh, I have TCU minus 23, uh, so a little bit of value there, I guess, if you're taking the 20 and a half uh, going through 21. Interestingly, uh, FEI dropped their projections for week one. I love looking at those. They actually only project Colorado for 9.4 points. I don't know if I'm that low necessarily on it, but uh, his numbers in, in terms of point totals and stuff last week was just absolutely spot on. So I do have to make note of that, that there is a little bit of a floor. Don't know if I go that low, but hey, it is out there. Uh, Moving on to another interesting game. All these are interesting, but this one's particularly interesting. Just in the market. 
We have Fresno State at Purdue. Purdue's only a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home with an over-under of 48 points. Kicks off at noon on the Big Ten Network. Body clock alert, guys. This is I love talking about this. Fresno State is backing up three time zones and playing at 9 a.m. local because uh, noon Eastern. So they're playing at 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, that, that's interesting. I love fading teams in those spots that have to go in and play in the early mornings, especially when you're flying in. Geez, they're probably flying in today, so they're only going to have a couple of days, maybe tomorrow. They are only going to have a couple of days to adjust there. The over-under has been bet way down from its initial standing at 54.5 points. Again, like I said, now at 48. Fresno State has also taken all the action on the spread. Uh, they stayed, uh, Purdue stayed steady at minus 6.5 for most of the offseason, but that has dropped uh, particularly late. Again, all the way down to 3.5 I'm seeing here. Maybe some 4.5s are still out there. I like the Mikey Keene fit. He comes over from UCF quarterback with Fresno State. I think it's a better situation for him. Uh, he's five foot eleven, about 200 pounds. They want him to run the ball a lot in UCF because that's what Gus Malzahn demands of his quarterbacks. He's not going to have to do that as much as Fresno State. I think that's a better situation. But as far as I know, he's not Jay Kaner. Uh, we saw Fresno State without Jay Kaner. Not, not great. Uh, they returned just 57% of their total roster production. None of their top three receivers, including Jalen Cropper, is a beast, uh, or a 1,000-yard running back. Those guys are all gone. On the other side, Purdue has uh, Hudson Card, who I maintain is, is a very talented quarterback. Uh, that was in a tough situation at Texas. Graham Harrell comes in as offensive coordinator. He's exciting. I've seen a lot of excitement around that hire, but he's been kind of disappointing numbers-wise at USC, West Virginia, uh, his other stops that he's been at. But you could have a worse offensive coordinator hire, in my opinion. I thought this number looked weird, but then I looked and the aggregated power ratings I used to handicap here make Purdue minus four. So, you know, what do you make of it? Yeah, this is my number one game in the early window, Brett, which again, you know, Fresno State, Purdue, you wouldn't think so. But I think this game is, is sneaky good and a little under the radar. I have Purdue minus six, which is a 67% win expectancy. Uh, Purdue, for me, is power rated number 53. Fresno State is number 66. It's an interesting game uh, for me because it's strength versus strength. It should be very even between Fresno State's number 43 defense and Purdue's number 48 offense. The difference for me here is Purdue's number 58 defense against Fresno State's number 72 offense, plus this game is in West Lafayette. You know, traveling is, is hard enough. Playing on the road is hard enough. I always talk about that's the hardest thing to do in college football is win on the road. You add in a three three time zone difference and a 9 a.m. local kick, it makes it even more difficult now for Fresno State from those perspectives. Uh, from a scheduling standpoint, it's not nothing that Purdue is traveling to Blacksburg next week to take on Virginia Tech. I, I do think the Boilers are going to be focused on the task at hand. If I look at my numbers for Fresno State and Virginia Tech, they're actually very similar. Of course, for Purdue's standpoint, one's at home and one's on the road. Um, but Virginia Tech really not that much better, if at all, than Fresno State this year. So I don't think the Boilers are going to be looking ahead. Um, this is Ryan Walter's first game as the head coach. I think they will be focused and dialed in. Bottom line, Purdue minus six at home with a 67% win expectancy for the Boilers. I, I have to mention that Phil Steele in his projection magazine, again, Really, really solid with his numbers. Projects Purdue last in the Big Ten. That's behind Northwestern. Now, I do have to note that was before the, the Pat Fitzgerald firing, but still, the fact that he was anticipating Purdue to be a potential two- or three-win team this year, I'm not sure I'm that low on them. I, I, I think that's, that's a bit of a – it was a shock for me, uh, for sure, you know, popping that open in, in June or July and, and seeing Purdue projected last. 
Uh, they do return, the Boilermakers do return Devin Mockaby at uh, running back. He was nearly a 1,000-yard rusher as a true freshman in uh, 2022. I like him a lot. Fresno State, not great versus the run last year. I know that was last year's numbers, 90th in EPA. But they do return six of their front seven. Now, that can aid in progression to, to help them improve. But at the same time, if you're returning pretty much all the same guys on a defense that was 90th in rush EPA, I don't have a lot of confidence that you're going to improve all that much. So I think Purdue should be able to uh, maintain the game on the ground there. Like you said, Ryan Walters, debut as a head coach with Purdue. Uh, if we can find minus three, if this thing crashes all the way down to, to, to minus three, I'm all about Purdue. Uh, body clock, like you said, it's at home, uh, you know, power five versus group five. And we talked about it in the preseason that Fresno State is ranked fairly low. Like they're rated pretty low, but they have a very favorable strength of schedule that may aid to more wins. And I don't know, maybe people are looking at their projected wins for the year and saying, well, I think Fresno State's supposed to be pretty good. So I'll bet them on the road against Purdue. That's turning a lot over, but I don't think I'm at that point. I may take that three and a half if a three doesn't show. I have not yet. I'm, I'm going to be patient and see if we can't get three because uh, three and a half, four, four and a half, five, those are some dead numbers. So you have a little bit of a ability to be patient here. But yeah, I, I think I'm on the Purdue side on this one. Moving on. Uh, I had to double check that this game wasn't kicking at 10 p.m. Eastern, but we have a, a Boise State at Washington. Uh, Washington, a 14 and a half point favorite with an over under of 58 and a half. Kicks at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. I believe that's why they're doing the early, quote-unquote, West Coast kick there. I do want to lead with some significant injuries for both teams. These are absolutely impactful. For Boise, their lead wide receiver, Latrell Caples, is out for the whole season. He's, he's done. They lost him in the preseason. On the other side, Washington, their starting running back or projected starting running back, Cameron Davis, had 13 touchdowns last year, as well as starting wide receiver, Giles Jackson. They're both out for the season as well. So there are some pretty heavy hitters on both sides, or on both sidelines, I should say, that are not going to be playing this game or at all this year. Boise State does return Taylor Green, who I'm super, super jazzed about. I'm, I'm absolutely on this, guy's, uh, on this guy's bandwagon. I think he's just electric. Uh, he was terrific as a redshirt freshman last year. So when he came in and they changed over from Hank Bachmeyer to Green, and they did change out the offensive coordinator as well, Boise State went from scoring 22 points a game to 32.5 points per game. It was not insignificant. You also see George Halani in the backfield. He's a beast, 1,000-yard rusher, multiple 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, Washington, though, was marginally better versus the run than the pass, but when I say marginally, I mean 94th in EPA against the run versus 126th in EPA against the pass. So I'm not talking about some heavy-hitting numbers here. Uh, I think it's a scheme thing because there is talent in the front seven. I, Braylon Trice is a, is a bona fide NFL uh, prospect. I think that they have dudes up front, but yeah, just schematically just didn't work out. Uh, teams were able to run and pass the ball in Washington last year. Boise State was number two in pass EPA on defense last year, but they do lose a couple of big guys in the, in the secondary. JL Skinner goes to the NFL. Caleb Biggers also goes to the NFL. Uh, you know, my question is, do they have a dude to defend Roma Dunze? Probably not. Now, do they have two dudes to, to defend Adunze and Jalen McMillan? Probably not. I think the Broncos are outgunned versus the pass. I'm not really sure there's much they can do about that. Yeah, this Brett, we just talked about my number one game of the early window. This is my number one game in the afternoon window. Uh, I, I like this game. I have Washington minus 12. It's an 80% win expectancy. Um, Washington, for me, power rated number one, or excuse me, power rated 17. And they're one of the you know four main contenders in the Pac-12 this year in a race that I'm really excited about. Boise State, the favorite in the Mountain West by my numbers, power rated number 49. It's a pretty close matchup when we have the number 50 Washington defense and the number 61 Boise State offense 
But again, I like to identify, you know, where's this difference? The difference for me is Washington's number seven offense. I mean, I, this they're going to be really good. Michael Penix Jr., you know, he's getting some Heisman love even. Um, what is he able to do? Caleb DeBoer continuing to, to build, and within that scheme, it's a number seven projected offense. Boise State's defense is number 36 projected right now. Plus, this game is in Seattle. Um, worth mentioning, Boise State gets UCF at home next week in an old-school BCS Buster matchup that I can't wait for. That'll be fun to talk about, too. Um, but, you know, this is Washington. I don't think the Broncos will be overlooking them. Uh, this is the Chris Peterson Bowl. I'm excited. Um, they truly can't afford to look ahead if they want any chance to win. I don't think they will. But bottom line, Washington minus 12 at home by my numbers is an 80% win expectancy for the Huskies. Yeah, and Boise State doesn't have to travel very far to Seattle. It's not some crazy trek to get there. They're pretty regionally close. Uh, but but Husky Stadium, that is a very difficult place to play. That is a very tough environment. It is going to be very full and energized. It's it's early enough, uh, you know, to mention that's early, but it's not so early in the day that fans aren't going to show up. It's on national television. And Boise State, big, I mean, big-name program coming in there to play. I think you're going to see a ton of support there, a very packed stadium. That's a very, very difficult environment uh, to play in that I don't think Talon Green has played in before in his, his entire playing career. Um, if you're talking about the total here, I'd probably wait to see if a number less than 58 shows up. One did flash at FanDuel. When I say flash, I mean flashed. Uh, I, I would probably bet over that uh, if we can get a 58. Yeah, and just final note on this before we move on, Brett, you were mentioning, you know, Husky Stadium. It's one of my favorite venues in college football. You got the Bay right out there. But also the thing that I think I like the most is, man, when they get that siren going, when they're trying yeah. to get the fans pumped up and excited, that's one of the more like I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. And I'm not a Washington fan. I'm not I'm not a fan of any Pac twelve team, but when I'm watching that, I've never been to a game there. That'd be fun. When I'm watching that on TV, you can't help but get amped up and excited. And you just know, like, this is a big moment. They got the siren rolling. Let's go. I, I love that. And they're going to be ready for Boise State. It's a regional rivalry, like you said. Um, the Chris Peterson, it, there's not bad blood. I mean, he went from Boise State to Washington. But Boise State doesn't love that. So um, this is definitely, there's a lot packed into this game. And, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. I'm with you. Let, let's just keep the, the train rolling on exciting games with exciting offenses. UTSA, a one-and-a-half point favorite at Houston. I had to double-check and make sure I did not put an AAC matchup down because this is not that. Both teams have moved conferences this offseason. Game has an over-under of 59-and-a-half. It kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1. This might be the most fascinating game to me this weekend. Maybe not the most exciting, maybe not my favorite, maybe not even my most anticipated, but most fascinating. I think we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams in this game. UTSA, I do have to mention DeCorian Clark, pardon me, is a game-time decision for this game. He he missed like all of camp recovering from an injury he sustained last year. It's a big deal because Zakari Franklin has gone to Ole Miss. He was the top pass getter there. Uh, but if JT Clark misses, I'm looking to Joshua Cephas, uh, his props, his over, because he is now the alpha. I mean, he's already the alpha, but if you have one alpha on that passing offense, the volume has to go somewhere. And, and based on last year and based on looks like your projections this year, you should be able to throw the ball on Houston a little bit. This line's flip-flopped all off-season long. You, you can find either team favored at any point, I think, as far as two points in either direction. Um, do note, though, that even though the teams are flipping as favorite underdog, it's really not a big deal because zero is a truly dead number. You cannot end on a zero, so it has no uh, no impact on this whatsoever. Some of that uh, – sorry, let's uh, talk about total. has been bet way, way, way down from 65. Some of that movement came after week zero – um, I think that's market driven though. I don't think it has much to do with the clock because neither team rushed over 50% uh, 
Uh, last year, they're, they're more a through-the-air team. Houston brings in Donovan Smith. I, I maintain as a pretty solid portal ad. I think he's going to be their starting quarterback. They do lose Alt McCaskill to the portal. I talked about him with Colorado. He didn't play last year, but he was still a big piece uh, returning for, for Houston this year. Was probably going to be a feature on the offense. They also lose their top offensive lineman, uh, Cam Johnson. Neither team fielded much of a, de- much of a defense, and which was truly shocking for Houston for me. They came off of that 2021 season as a lockdown, shutdown defense. They lose a couple of guys to the NFL, but not the entire basis, and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they're a top 20 unit, maybe even top 15 unit in 2021, crashed all the way outside the top 100 last year. Uh, in UTSA, they return eight starters on defense. Houston returned seven. Yeah, that drop-off was real. Uh, you're not kidding. I'll get to that here in a second. This is my number two game of the primetime window. I love being able to now break down games based on my watchability scores by the TV window and allows me to really you know, prioritize what game gets the main TV in the setup, which games are on the, on the sides. Um, so I like talking about it in that kind of context. I actually have Houston minus one and a half. Uh, it's a 54% win expectancy. Like you said, it's a true toss-up game. Wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, despite being the projected underdog, I actually do have UTSA as the better power-rated team. Uh, they're at number 54 for me, while Houston's number 61. Uh, both these teams are pretty similar. Like you, like you mentioned, you know, good, high-powered offense and to be frank, a below-average defense. Houston has the best of the four units in this game with the number 25 offense. Should be exciting, should be fun. They also have the worst of the four units, and that would be their defense, which is projecting as number 101 nationally. Uh, UTSA's offense checks in at number 37. The defense is currently projecting number 79 nationally. So the difference for me here in this game is the home field advantage. I mean, that's what this boils down to. It's in Houston. It's the Cougars' first game at the Power 5 level since the old Southwest Conference days many years ago. So I do think their fans will be ready for this one. Uh, It is, you know, a Texas rivalry, if you will. There's so many teams in Texas. You can't call them all rivals. But I think this is a budding uh, UTSA program. Obviously, Houston's making the transition. So they're going to take each other seriously here. Uh, It's not a look-ahead spot for either team. Uh, Houston's heading to Rice next week, UTSA welcoming Texas State. So, again, talk about all these teams in Texas. No (laughs) one's leaving the state. They're all playing each other around there. Uh, Texas State going to San Antonio in week two bottom line I have Houston minus one and a half at home it's a 54% win expectancy for the Cougars if I recall correctly I don't have it in front of me but I believe Houston doesn't leave the state of Texas until Halloween (laughs) whether it be hosting teams or visiting them like you said there's so many teams in Texas they don't even leave the state uh, which granted you know it's a big state so there there could be closer games they have out of state but yeah I'm pretty sure they don't leave the state until uh, Halloween and do uh, know I'm looking at their I'm looking at their schedule. It's week nine. They get UTSA yeah. at home, at Rice, home to TCU, home to Sam Houston, at Texas Tech, bye, home to West Virginia, home versus Texas. They finally go in week nine to Kansas State. Uh, they only leave the state twice, uh, also at UCF in week thirteen. So <laughs> there's a lot Sound, of teams in Texas and they're getting like they, many of the outside the home. Do they only play one team outside the state of Texas until they leave? West Virginia, right? All those other ones are in state. All their out of Correct. conference are in state. Goodness Correct. gracious. All yep. right. Yep. And then they go to Baylor later in the year, too, which is also in Waco. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. There should be, though, a pretty strong UTSA uh, presence there. First of all, UTSA fans travel like you would not believe. I went to the Frisco Bowl a couple years ago when they played in that like amazing representation. They were decked out for tailgates. This is a fan base that travels and travels very well. It's only a three hour drive and zero turns. You, you, if you live in San Antonio, you get on Interstate 10, you head east three hours, and you get off the interstate, and you're at the, and you're at the University of Houston. I made that drive before. It's, it's a breeze. So I think there's going to be plenty of UTSA representation. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's 33%. 
like two thirds to one third, uh, just because that's how strong the UTSA fan base is. But uh, Houston's fans are passionate. Uh, we've talked about on the show before. They're a little rowdy, but they are passionate. Um, so I think this will be actually a really exciting environment uh, and, and an even better game. Um, even though the total's way down, I actually still feel better on the over. Uh, if I can get 59, maybe even 58, not really confident that we'll get 58. Um, but, geez, if you're thinking about betting the total, don't just bet it at 59 and a half. 59 is the fourth most occurring total at 2.9%. You don't want to lose that 3% edge. Um, but I do think this is a game where both teams are going to be able to score and score frequently. Moving on, but still staying with Texas teams. We have Texas Tech, a two-score favorite at Wyoming, 14 points, with an over-under 50-and-a-half. Game kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. I absolutely love this game. Uh, I bet Texas Tech at 13-and-a-half when I had the chance to. Uh, looks like it may come back. We did go from 14-and-a-half back down to 14 uh, but, you know, that move from 14 to 13 and a half takes a little bit of effort because it is a key figure. There's a lot to cover with Wyoming, personnel-wise. Um, their backfield is just depleted. Their top two backs, DeWyan McNeely and uh, Harrison Wiley, they're both out for the season. Those are their top two guys. They have to replace three of five starters along the offensive line. That unit was 37th in line yards last year, 18th in rushing success rate. And their top guy, Emmanuel Pregnon, left for USC. Uh, so this is an offense that wasn't very good, wasn't very, uh, you know, they were super effective, but they weren't explosive. They, they just ran the crap out of the ball. Uh, now they lose like 80% of that ability to uh, before the season starts here. Defensively, Wyoming returns 10 starters. Should be another solid unit this year. They're very good on early downs, uh, holding teams to bad success rates on early downs. And as you know, I know, and, and the, everybody listening knows, the best third down you can have is the one that you don't play. So if this team is forcing you into third downs, that is a big advantage uh, on their on their part there. They're also pretty good about holding opponents to field goals inside the red zone. So they have a high red zone scoring rate. I think they were 70th in the country in that. But if you look at their points per drive, it's a lot lower than that. So they were holding teams consistently to field goals rather than touchdowns. But Texas Tech, they return all 11 starters on offense. Tyler Shuck is at quarterback. Jerron Bradley, a wide receiver, he's an all-conference guy. And then Zach Kitley might be my favorite coordinator in the country right now. Uh, they should be able to move the ball, I think, through the air on this Wyoming team. Um, however, Tech was a better rushing team last year than a passing team, and Wyoming was better against the rush than the pass. Yeah, uh, for me, this is an exciting game. It could be the best Texas Tech team that we've seen since 2009, at least by my numbers. I'm a big fan of Joey McGuire and what he's got going on in Lubbock. I have Texas Tech minus 13 in this one, which is an 82% win expectancy. Uh, Texas Tech power rated number 22, again, potentially the best since 2009, while Wyoming is power rated number 89. It's a mismatch on both sides of the ball, as Texas Tech has the two best units in this game for me. Red Raiders have the number 22 offense. They should be able to score some points here against the number 67 Wyoming defense, and I'm not sure the Cowboys' uh, number 119 offense will be able to do much against that Tech defense that I have ranked number 61. Two silver linings for Wyoming in this one. The game's in Laramie, as you mentioned, uh, which you know that's it can be a tricky place, especially you know late in the year. It gets very cold there. Uh, don't think we'll deal with that this week, as, as you talked about there. But um, Texas Tech also welcomes a top 15 Oregon team to Lubbock in week two. So perhaps the Red Raiders are peeking ahead to that game against the Ducks. I don't know. It's worth keeping an eye on. That's projecting as, you know, one of my top two or three games of week two overall. So I wouldn't blame them if they had an eye wandering there. They'll just need to be careful because this Wyoming team could be tricky, especially on the road. Uh, bottom line, I have Texas Tech minus 13 on the road with an 82% win expectancy for the Red Raiders. 
let really quick, I want to touch on that home field advantage for Wyoming because it goes beyond just the usual home field advantage. Wyoming's football stadium, War Memorial Stadium, I'm, I'm a college football travel junkie, I love this kind of stuff, is the highest elevation stadium in the United States at 7,220 feet above sea level. I'm an asthmatic. I visited there. Super windy day. Walking from the field up the stands is a challenge. The air is thin up there. However, Texas Tech, they're not coming from sea level. Lubbock sits 3,200 feet above sea level. That may be surprising for those who may not live out there or know that, that they're already kind of dealing with a little bit of a thinner air, but it's not what they're dealing with in, in Laramie. So we have to note that, that it is a, a bigger home field advantage possibly than your average Mountain West team. My biggest concern, though, with Wyoming is I just don't know how they're going to score. Run-oriented team, their backfield, like I said, is depleted. They have to replace a bunch of guys up front. They don't have a quarterback on the roster capable of completing a forward pass. Uh, they run one of the slowest offenses in the country as well. 28 seconds per play is about sixth slowest last year. They don't go for it on fourth down. Maybe I'm just missing something here, but I think Texas Tech is, uh, is, is the clearly better team, more talented team. Uh, you know, you factor in the home field advantage. You factor in the potential look-ahead spot. I don't know if Joey McGuire is going to let these boys be looking forward, though. Uh, he's, he's a sound coach. We've seen that. Um, so hopefully they get, you know, they, they're, they're focused for this game and whatnot. I, I, I really think Tech is, is a much better team. Uh, Wyoming has a 17-and-a-half team total. I don't love the juice on it. That was something I was looking maybe to bet. It's at minus 125, but that's on FanDuel, and their implied team total is 18 and a quarter. So I think you're overpaying if you're going to try to take under Wyoming's team total there. But if you had to t- uh, tell me to pick a side, it's, it's definitely under that team total. Uh, and, of course, I have that Texas Tech bet at 13 and a half just on they're more talented, and I don't know how Wyoming scores. Let's go to the college game day game of the week. Don't love that it's at a neutral site. They do this every week one to me. I think they're just married to Charlotte, to be honest. They did this a couple years ago as well. Staying in Charlotte, you have North Carolina versus South Carolina. UNC is a two-and-a-half point favorite, has an over-under of 64-and-a-half points, kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Full transparency right off the top. I have no idea what to make of this game. I don't think the market does either because it's kind of been all over the place. Uh, kind of feels like a, a wild one in the making. Uh, so if you bet this, Bet it at your own peril. I have a feeling this is going to be a bad beat game one way or another with the total, with whatever is betting here. This feels like the making of a bad beat game. Um, that's just my gut feeling. I have no data to back that up. Uh, <laughs> Tez Walker, he is a Kent State transfer receiver, electric player, one of the top grabs in the portal. He is unlikely to play. He's battling the benevolent and athlete-focused NCAA for eligibility. Uh, for some reason, he has actually played at one school. So this waiver is based on a technicality. Just let him play, guys. What are we What are we even doing? Um, UNC also added Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech at receiver. But I don't really know who this top target is going to be without Walker. Hopefully, he's able to play for his sake, for the team's sake. Uh, but, again, I'm not counting on it. Uh, UNC also lost Phil Longo. Um, does this year – is it just me that this year reminds me of Sam Howell's final season? Where, like, he had awesome numbers – loses a bunch of his weapons, and then he's just a huge letdown. Like, am I alone in that? No, I mean, I, I think you're right, Brett. That is definitely what you can kind of get vibes from here. Same thing with, you know, projecting, you know, top 10, top top half of the first-round pick. We're seeing the same stuff. So, yeah, I, I definitely see some similarities there, and hopefully for North Carolina fans' sake, it does not play out that way. I'm sure South Carolina wouldn't mind seeing it play that way, especially here in week one. 
Yeah, for sure. They they did add Chip Lindsey, offensive coordinator from UCF, who I think is fine, but he's never really been out from under the Gus Malzahn system. Um, and if he does bring that system from UCF and Auburn, that requires the quarterback to run. Uh, and Drake May, as we know, good good athlete, capable runner, but he's also a forty three hundred yard passer, and that's kind of one of how you know how you want to use him rather than a John Rice Plumley run oriented guy. Uh, South Carolina, uh, I'm using this term. I'm I'm standing behind it. They rid themselves of Marcus Satterfield. They bring in Dowell Loggins from Arkansas, who's their tight end coach. Do note, Anton Wells, he should play, but he's dealt with injuries this summer, and that's the same story for tight end Trey Knox and superstar in the making, extremely exciting freshman Nicholas Harbour. Uh, He's an athlete, but he's out there at receiver. Those three guys should play, but they have missed time. So if any of these guys scratch, to me that's a really big loss, or if they go out you know, after a quarter or two. Yeah, we've already talked about my number one game in the early window, the afternoon window. This is my number one game of the primetime window. Uh, It's my number three game of week one overall. I have North Carolina minus three. It's a 58% win expectancy, but I'm like you, Red. I really don't know what to make of this game. Uh, Either team could win this one. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, If if we're playing this game later in the year, I'd have a much better feel. There's just so much, like you talked about, you know, uncertainty really with both these teams in terms of what they've lost, what they're bringing back, and these seasons could go two different ways for both these teams. And I think this is kind of a hinge game for that right out of the gate. Um, North Carolina for me right now, power rated number 23, South Carolina power rated number 36, like the UTSA Houston game. Both these teams are similar, good, high power, high powered offenses and an average defense. Very little separates these defenses. I have South Carolina number 64, North Carolina number 68. The difference, though, other side of the ball, North Carolina's offense is projecting to be just a little bit better. I have them number 14 nationally. Of course, Drake May, uh, Heisman candidate. We talked about that a little bit. South Carolina's projecting to be the number 24 offense nationally. So North Carolina welcomes App State to Chapel Hill next week. We all remember the 63-61 barn burner in Boone last year. That was such a fun game. Yes, the was. Tar Heels need, they need to make sure they're focused on this one. I think they will be. It is a big rivalry game after all with the Gamecocks, but uh, their fans wouldn't be uh, – I wouldn't blame them if they were like, yo, let's make sure we keep an eye on App State next week after what happened last year. I'm looking forward to that one, but this one's an even bigger one. It's a big rivalry game. It's at a neutral site uh, here in Charlotte. So bottom line, I have North Carolina minus three in this game. It's a 58% win expectancy for the Tar Heels. Even though that you're only getting two and a half points here, it's a short line, you're probably better off taking South Carolina with the points rather than on the money line. It doesn't move through any key figures, but you do have a 10% bump taking that plus two and a half rather than trying to take them outright. Um, and that's not nothing. I, I do see fair value, though, with the South Carolina money line at plus 118. That is exactly what my fair value says they should be. Uh, you can find that at Caesars at the time of recording if you are so inclined to be place, uh, chasing some plus odds. South Alabama visits Tulane. Tulane is a 6.5-point home favorite, has an over-under of 52.5, kicks off at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Thunderstorms and rain are in the forecast for this game. They are more likely during the day, but there still is a chance during the game. Uh, delays, all that weird stuff, you know how that goes. Um, the total has also crashed from its opening mark of 60 points all the way down to that 52.5 since June, and there's been no buyback on the over. I've not seen this rebound in any way, shape, or form. 
Uh, also noteworthy, there is that movement through the seven on the spread. Uh, we did have Tulane at seven and a half earlier this offseason. I love this matchup. I'm very excited to see how either of these teams follows up last year. They had 22 combined wins if you so happen to miss the season last year. There's a lot of continuity for South Alabama. They should, again, be a very solid team. Uh, they also have a very, very good special teams unit. That comes in handy, especially when you're dealing with one-score games like this one is projected to be on the road. Less continuity for Tulane, but they still return Michael Pratt and pretty much everyone up front on both offense and defense. They bring on Troy defensive coordinator Shield Wood, but they lose two prolific linebackers, 250-plus tackles between just the two of them. They are off to the NFL. This, this is the thing that's most exciting to me, though. We've been talking about strength versus strength this entire podcast. This is the number one projected offensive line in the American versus the number one defensive line in the Sun Belt. Bring it on. Let's go. It's, it's awesome, Brett. And these are two of the best G5 teams in the country. And this game, if you really love college football, this is a game that I think you can get excited about, even though it doesn't have big brand power, at least yet. It doesn't have Power 5 teams. It doesn't have CFP implications. Maybe it has New Year's 6 implications, though, for both these yeah. teams. Um, but all of these different things that it doesn't have, this is still a super exciting game and one that I think true college football fans, the ones that are watching or listening to this, should definitely be excited about. For me, it comes in number five in the primetime window, so I will absolutely have this game on from the start to the finish. You know, late in the game, if it's a total blowout, I might switch things around, but this game's going to get at least the entire first half for me and likely deep into the fourth quarter because I do think it's going to be a good game. I have Tulane minus nine. That's a 74% win expectancy. Tulane is power rated number 44, best in the G5 for me, while South Alabama is power rated number 69. It's a very close matchup. You talked about this between that number 63 uh, Tulane defense and the number 67. Seven South Alabama offense. The difference, though, Tulane's number 31 offense, South Alabama's number 56 defense. Those are overall. Those aren't, you know, offensive line or defensive line unit rankings. That's the units as a whole. And this game is in New Orleans. I think that makes a difference in this game, too. Um, scheduling note here, because I like, I like talking about, you know, what's the look ahead. And as we get going into the season, we'll take a quick look back. You know, what kind of run are they on? What kind of travel have they had? Are they coming off a bye? All those things. In week one, that doesn't really play in looking backwards. But looking forward here, uh, next week, Tulane welcomes a top 20 Power 5 Ole Miss to New Orleans. It's the only game all year that I project the Green Wave to be underdogs. So – I I don't say that to suggest that Tulane is going to be looking ahead at that one because I think South Alabama is that good. They're one of the favorites in the Sun Belt, especially the Sun Belt West for me, and I think Tulane's going to know that, but they do need to be careful. They need to make sure that they're focused on the Jags, not the Rebels, because if they are, South Alabama could definitely come in here and steal this game. Bottom line, I have Tulane minus nine at home. It's a 74% win expectancy for the Green Wave, and these are two of the best G5 teams in the country this year. Now, I'm not going to say I'm going to – downplay the home field advantage but I don't know what kind of effect it's really going to have Mobile is is two hours due east of New Orleans uh, on Interstate 10 again we're staying on Interstate 10 again well coached teams I think are pretty prepared to go on, go on go on the road especially with a trip this short and Yeoman Stadium pretty cool it's a pretty new thing it, it doesn't trap noise I've been to games there it doesn't trap noise like you'd like it um, and even though it's going to be sold out I think fans, perhaps, could be looking forward to next week, and that's when you get the higher energy, higher intensity game. 
I don't know if this one's going to be as high intensity as when Ole Miss comes in. And if it's not, that may not be the home field advantage that Tulane is looking for. Of course, you do have the sleep in your own bed. You don't have to travel, all the logistics with that. So it does account for something. But I don't know if I'm going to overinflate the home field advantage for Tulane in this game. Uh, my aggregated power ratings have Tulane minus eight and a half at home. That shows value in taking the green wave. Uh, although that's not a bet that I made personally, like you said, though, this is a game where it's going to have a lot of my focus. Cause we're going to learn a lot about these two teams, this one. And then the UNC South Carolina game are two where I'm like, I need to learn more about these teams. So let's watch it. Uh, and of course they shoved the UTSA uh, game in this window as well. So we're going to have to be doing a lot of watching, probably a lot of playback. Uh, let's close out our FBS games. I do have one FCS game here on the slate as well, as is going to be customary this year. We have Coastal Carolina at UCLA. UCLA is a 14.5-point home favorite, has an over-under of 66. Coffee time game uh, kicks off at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. Now, keep in mind, that's a little bit of a body clock for Coastal Carolina, who is coming from, as the name suggests, the opposite coast. Uh, and they're going to be playing at 10.30 p.m. This game airs on ESPN. Chase Garbers, believe it or not, beat out Dante Moore and Colin Schlee for quarterback one for UCLA. But I'd be surprised if we didn't see Dante Moore at any point early on in the season. Uh, if this game gets a little bit out of hand, I'm sure he'll be the first one to come in. This one has a high total, hasn't moved very much. FEI projects 71 points. SP Plus projects 65 points. So I can kind of see why that hasn't moved very much. However, UCLA may be run focused, right? With Carson Steele and a strong offensive line. And Coastal Carolina's uh, potential second option to not feel the defense this year. Uh, we'll see. I don't think that they have the dudes to be able to keep up with UCLA. UCLA size-wise just, just absolutely out, uh, outmatches this Coastal Carolina team. And Car Carson Steele, like I mentioned before, 74% of his rushing yards came after contact. So, yeah, I think they're going to line up and, and, and run the football. I'm very interested, though, to see Grayson McCall outside of the Jamie Chadwell system. I said I didn't love Tim Beck at NC State. He comes over. He's now the head coach at Coastal. He brings in USF offensive uh, coordinator Travis Trickett. Uh, that's a high-flying, a higher-scoring one. A lot of short passing, which is good, I think, for McCall. But, again, I need to see him outside that system. Still a very good quarterback, though. UCLA returns 10 starters on defense, but that unit was 120th in pass EPA last year. So I don't know if that's good or bad. McCall is a good quarterback. I know there was some surprise that he, you know, remained at Coastal Carolina after uh, flirting with the transfer portal this past year, you know, Chadwell leaving. Um, it's intriguing, this Coastal Carolina team this year. The Sun Belt races in both divisions are going to be really good. We've talked about that before. Um, this won't affect that, but it will be good to get our first look at Coastal in this game against a tough opponent because I do have UCLA minus 13 and a half. It's an 83% win expectancy. Uh, UCLA, for me, is power rated number 30 Coastal Carolina power at number 76. So there is, you know, a significant discrepancy here. Uh, coastal traveling across the country, as you said. Uh, it's pretty clear both these teams are offense-oriented. Um, I do like Coastal's number 46 offense to be able to score some points on this UCLA number 66 defense. But for me, it's the UCLA offense, which I have number 13 nationally. Again, the Pac-12 has so many good offenses uh, against the number 97 Coastal Carolina defense. That's a huge mismatch. Plus, this game is in the Rose Bowl. I know people talk about this really not a home field advantage because no one goes to those games. <laughs> they got to travel across the country. You got to play in someone else's stadium. 
do I wish there were more people there? Of course, but it's still going to be difficult for Coastal in this one. Uh, UCLA is somewhat of a sleeper pick for some to make some noise in the Pac-12, uh, largely due to the schedule for me, uh, but I could see that kind of conversation. Um, I expect they're going to get it done here in week one. Bottom line, I have UCLA minus 13 and a half at home with an 83% win expectancy for the Bruins. Yeah, definitely don't underplay the fact that these are college kids going from one coast to another, flying forward three hours and then having to play at 1030 at night. Your game's not going to end, as we'll see, until 1, 1.30 in the morning, local internal time. That is a little bit of a body clock game for me, not as badly as Fresno State traveling back and playing at 9 a.m., because as we know, college kids, most of them are better off later on in the day than they are early in the day. I'm speaking from you know old experience there myself. My gut tells me that the under is probably the better side here, especially with that running clock rule and, and the propensity maybe for UCLA to run the football quite a bit. But these respected projections have it right at the number or above it. So I think I'm going to end up passing on the total here. Uh, you have UCLA 13 and a half. I have UCLA 14. So I think that the spread is also going to be passed for me as well. But Kelly, let's clean this up really quickly. FCS game. We have Eastern Washington against North Dakota State. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus or your local ABC North Dakota stations if you do have those. Um, any watchers from North Dakota – Welcome. Thank you. This game is being played at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Uh, my aggregate power ratings make this North Dakota State minus 20. New offensive coordinator is in his second year there at Eastern Washington, and the scoring fell quite a bit. Uh, 24.6 points per game is 68th nationally. And on top of that, they fielded one of the absolute worst defenses in the country last year, giving up over 42 points a game. Uh, I think that was third worst in the country. It's a mismatch on both sides of the football, so I think I have to take North Dakota State at anything at or under maybe 17 and a half, I'd probably even consider 20 and a half. Uh, what do your, uh, what do your FCS numbers say? Yeah, Brett, my FCS light model has it uh, even bigger in favor of North Dakota State here in this uh, neutral site game. I do have North Dakota State as a number two power-rated FCS team, Eastern Washington number 49. My numbers in this one like North Dakota State by about 25 and a half. All right. Well, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to watch that game. I have ESPN+. Plus. I'd really like to watch that one at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, and it's in that afternoon slate that's kind of light for the FBS. So I think this one will definitely make it up on my TV at some point. But, Kelly, that is a Saturday slate college football week one. It is here. We have reviewed it. And we'll be back to review uh, some Sunday night and the Clemson-Duke Monday night game here soon as well. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates on our college football channel. You can join a sharp and active community. It is very active now. It, there's messages going off 24-7 in there talking college football. We had a great conversation about Colorado the other day uh, in there as well. Don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, we're on there. Drop us a good review if you really like the show and share your thoughts in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. If you want to share your comments in a review, that's also great. I'll take that as well. Kelly, before we get out of here, please let everybody know where they can find your work. No doubt, Brett. You can find me on Twitter at KFordRatings. Uh, you have the website KFordRatings.com. And I'm now writing uh, two articles per week on the lines.com, previewing you know my top three projected games of the week, some of which we talked about here today or have talked about previously, and then also uh, um, previewing the Big Ten primetime game on NBC every single week. This week, that'll be Penn State, West Virginia. So you can find me doing those things too, Brett. Saturday slate. This is week one. Rivalry week, just to put it in perspective, that's week 13 
We're going to be doing a lot of these, man. I yes, cannot wait. This was so much fun, and it's only going to get better as we get into the season and we really start to figure out, put the projections aside. What are these teams actually all about? And that's what we can sink our teeth into. Man, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Let's do this. Well, thank you so much, as always, for watching. I am Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.